Amen. Thank you, Nicole. All right, so we are now into the final section of the Sermon on the Mount. So, so I want to say, for those of you who are maybe joining us for the first time, welcome. It's good to have you. This is the last installment of a 19-week series. For those of you that have been with us for the duration of the journey, well done. You've made it to the end. Right? I hope it's been a good and an exciting journey. I know I've really enjoyed it. It's been great to just unpack what Jesus has had to say for 19 solid weeks. And the fact that you're still here is a vaguely encouraging sign that we haven't driven you away. Right? I'm really excited, this, not this morning, why do I keep saying morning, this evening, to wrap this up. Right? And I, it's exciting because for the first time, maybe, I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I get to preach a sermon that concludes a series on a, a sermon that Jesus preached that concluded his sermon. Right? So it's quite exciting. I think I'm going to try and model all the conclusions of my sermon going forward on how Jesus concludes this one. But it's, it's quite exciting. We've been journeying for 18 weeks, and now Jesus begins to land everything that he said over the last 18 weeks. He lands it tonight, and we're going to look at that. And he does that in a story that's quite well known. It's the story about two builders, one who builds on the rock and one who builds on the sand. Right? You guys probably know the story, but we're going to read it in a moment. But that story fits into a quartet of stories, of four different stories that Jesus uses to bring his message to a close and to a head. And so we're going to, we're going to look at our story tonight, and then we're going to land it into the context of the three other stories that Jesus has told. And, and then, guys, and I'm sorry about this, especially for the matrix who have just finished writing, right, and just finished writing maths, but we're going to do a little bit of maths together. Right, we're going to do a little bit of maths in church, and, and it's going to be great, I promise. Right, we're going to draw a little bit of a table. It's like low-level standard grade maths. Right? Well, well, maths lit these days, right? Standard grade in my day. We're going, to, right, we're, going to, we're going to have a little table, and we're going to make a couple of graphs, just because it's going to help us to see and follow the flow of what Jesus is trying to say as he wraps up and brings his whole sermon to a close. All right, so here's my... Let's jump in and let's have a look. And I, I want us to just recognize how significant these words are. These are the words of Jesus as he wraps up his own sermon. He says this. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Why is my PowerPoint not? That's very helpful. Let's try again. There we go. Okay. Right. Then Jesus says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Those are the last words that Jesus uses to finish his sermon. Let's unpack them a little bit together, but let's start by putting them in their context. And so I created this table. Right? It's annoyingly yellow because of this wonderful VGA lead, but that's the way it is. Right? But this table categorizes the last four stories of Jesus' message according to three different variables. Right? The people that he speaks to, the action or the inaction that he speaks against, and the consequence of failure that he talks about in each of these stories. And we're just going to track through these stories and kind of plot a bit of a picture that Jesus follows. Right? So you remember two weeks ago, Roland spoke about the two ways. Right? There was the broad way. 
and the narrow way, and wide was the way, and easy was the road that led to destruction. And narrow was the gate, and difficult was the way that led to life, and there were few that found it. That was the story that we had about the two roads. And what you notice, when Jesus tells the story, there's two characters in the story. There's those who are on the broad way, and those who are on the narrow way. There's no waiting room in the story. You don't get to park off in an area that's not on one of the two roads. You're all on the broad way until you enter through the narrow gate. And once you've entered through the narrow gate, you're then on the narrow and difficult way that Jesus speaks about. And in the story, he contrasts two different people. When you're on the Broadway, you stand in a place outside of God. Right? You are those who are lost, those who are ultimately headed toward destruction. But once you enter through the narrow gate and you move on to the narrow and the difficult way, you move into the, that class of people that have become Christians, those who are following Jesus, and you are the, those who are ultimately going to be saved. That road leads to eternal life. That's the, that's the framework Jesus creates in the first story. And the action that he speaks about, the difference, the only difference between the people that are on the Broadway and the people that are on the narrow way is that the people on the Broadway have chosen to turn off the Broadway and to go through the narrow gate. That's the choice. That's the action that that, that story turns on. And the consequence of failure that we see in that story is if you fail to go through the narrow gate, if you continue on the broad and easy way, Jesus says that way ends in destruction. It's the first warning that he gives. Right, so that's the first story, just in terms of those three kind of parameters. The second story is the, the one that Howard dealt with first last week. You'll remember the story about false prophets. Right? And if you're like me, you'll remember Howard's sheep, that little wolf that was dressed like a sheep, because that was really amusing. And Howard loved to introduce animals into his uh, PowerPoints. Makes me happy. Right? But Jesus speaks about false prophets, and he speaks about them as wolves that are in sheep's clothing. In other words, they're not sheep, but they look like sheep. Right? So I've called them pseudo-Christians. They are people that are trying to look Christian. They are attempting to emulate being a sheep and look like a sheep, but they're actually not a sheep. Jesus actually calls them ravenous wolves. He says that they're seeking someone to devour. You remember that what we find in Peter, who says, resist the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It's the same kind of description. These false prophets who exist, and they're looking for someone to devour. They're looking for someone to lead astray. And that's, that's the action that Jesus speaks into in this story. Right? These are not just people that are doing something by accident, but intentionally they are disguising who they are. They are deceiving people, and they are seeking to take people off the narrow way and bring them onto the broad way that goes back to destruction. That's what they're doing. And Howard really unpacked that well last week. Jesus says of these people, these false prophets, these wolves in sheep's clothing, he says of them that they are like trees. And you'll be able to tell whether they're an actual sheep or a wolf in sheep's clothing by looking at the fruit that they produce. He says a good tree bears good fruit, right? but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And if a tree bears bad fruit, then it will be cut down, thrown into the fire, and burnt up. That's what Jesus says. The consequence of, of failure, the, the consequence of of being those people, those, those who are outside the kingdom, is that they are ultimately cut down, thrown into the fire, and burnt. Then you get the third story, which is perhaps the most difficult of the, three, of the four stories that Jesus tells. 
Because in this story, you've got a group of people who, who cast out demons, who prophesied, who, who performed miracles, and they come before Jesus. And Jesus says to them, guys, I never knew you. I don't know who you are, and you don't know me. But they're, they're crying out to him, and they're, and they're saying, Lord, but, but what's going on in this situation? See, they're, they're totally taken by surprise. This wasn't something they anticipated or thought about or understood. And again, how to unpack this really well last week. Right, but they get really surprised when they come before the king, and he says, I didn't know you. Right, these, these, are, these are deceived Christians. Right, you see the people category there. They think they're in. But Jesus says they're not. And it's a little bit, it reminds me of, of, the, of the writing of Paul. You remember 1 Corinthians? Remember the, the wedding scripture in 1 Corinthians 13? You know, in between the gifts of, in 12 and 14, Paul has this segue into love. And he says, I can do all kinds of things. I can perform amazing miracles, but if I have not love, I am nothing. And I can give all the money that I have to the poor, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. And he's speaking into this idea that I think Jesus is speaking into as well, that there are those who can do something outside of a relationship with him, outside of a love relationship with Christ. And ultimately, Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Right? And so their action or their inaction is that they, pr they profess, they call Jesus Lord, and they perform, they do all kinds of stuff, but they don't know. They don't have a relationship with the king. And the consequence of that, the consequence of not being known by Jesus or knowing Jesus is that he says to them, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. They're, they're rejected. They're cut off from the kingdom. They're denied access into eternal life. And they're actually, um, they're, Jesus calls them guilty. He kind of condemns them. He speaks over them, you workers of lawlessness. You haven't actually worked for the kingdom. In fact, you've worked for the enemy. That's the third story. And after that story, we get the one that we've just read. The story about the two builders. And here Jesus says, there are, there are those of you who are going to be listening to my words. You're going to be hearing what I have to say. And remember this, this sermon that Jesus began started out with an intimate group of disciples. He had been performing a lot of miraculous stuff. He'd been healing people, casting out demons. And then he goes away and him and his disciples take some time and he begins to instruct them. And you're going to see in a moment as we read the last part of Matthew 7 that whilst it began with the disciples, there's now a crowd of people that have gathered around Jesus and they're listening to what he has to say. These are the people that Jesus is speaking to. And he says there are going to be two kinds of people that hear what I have to say. There are going to be those that hear it and then they put it into place in their life and they begin to do it and they begin to live it out. And then there are going to be those that, that hear it but don't really do it. Now, I've, I've tried to call them lazy and active Christians, but that's a little bit misleading because, again, when we look at the consequence of failure at the end, at, the, at the, the choice of not choosing to live your life according to what Jesus has said, that consequence is going to lead to the total collapse of your house, Jesus said. I, I don't think those are people that are going into the kingdom of God. Right, so Christian is maybe a bit of a misnomer, but we can put it in quotation marks. But I think this is, this is where it gets really close to home. These are, these are the people that are sitting in the pews, and they're listening, and they're thinking about it, and they're talking about it. We're going to tease that out a little bit more. 
but they're not living it out. Jesus says, if you fail to live it out, your house will collapse. All right, you've got a picture of the four stories, right? There they are in the table. You've got the four stories. Now, I couldn't help having created this table and trying to understand the different things Jesus was trying to do, trying to graph the different variables and trying to understand a little bit about what Jesus is doing with them. So let's start with the first one, the people in Matthew chapter 7. And you'll remember that in the first and the last story, Jesus spoke about two different types of people, right? So there were those on the broad way and the narrow way, and then there were those that built on the rock and those that built on the sand. For the purpose of this graph, we're just going to look at the people against which Jesus levels his judgments, right? So those who are on the broad way and those who built on the sand. But let's start, in, so on the, on the y-axis, we've got the closeness to Christian community, or in, in some ways, your appearance of salvation, how, how, how much it looks like you are genuinely saved, genuinely a part of the church, right? And on, on the bottom axis, you've got the d- four different stories. So let's plot how they go. And the first one, if we're talking about the people who are walking on the road, these are people that probably don't look a lot like Christians. They're, they're quite lost. They don't yet know Jesus. Hopefully, many of you have some friends like this because you're trusting God to be at work in their life. Right? And they're just they're walking on the wide road, and they don't really look like Christians. They're not trying to look like Christians. So they're down low at the bottom. Right? Then, then we get the next group. These are false prophets. These are, these are wolves dressed up like sheep. They're trying to look Christian. They actually probably look quite spiritual. They might even take a title in the church so that they can appear that way. Right? They're quite in there. They've got some kind of ministry, perhaps, that people acknowledge them for. They're false prophets. But then it levels up a little bit more, and it now goes from just those who are false prophets to those who are prophesying and doing miracles and part of the deliverance ministry in the church. Right? I mean, if you didn't know any better, you would look at these people and you would say, you're like, really, you've kind of made it. You know, that, that's really, that, if a Christian was about anything, surely that's what it's about. Right? Those are the works that you want to be attached to your name, you'd think. Right? So they really look like they're in there. And then you get the last group, which is, which is the people that are kind of sitting in the pew in the church. But they're in the church, and they're here, and they're listening to the words of Jesus. They're just not doing anything about it. Right? And so they're, they're probably not quite as spiritual. Maybe they, they should be a little bit lower down than, than the guys who are the false prophets, who maybe look a little bit more spiritual. Anyway, you get a graph that looks a little bit like this. It kind of begins to go up, and then it arches and comes down again a little bit. Right? And I want you to notice how, how Jesus starts this journey with his disciples, and he says, you know, there are some people we know are not going to enter the kingdom. Those on the Broadway, it's kind of obvious. But I want you to notice, we can get real close to what it looks like to be my follower, and they're, they're still not quite there yet. Right? This, this comparison begins to get closer and closer to home as Jesus goes on in the four stories. Then I decide to graph the actions in Matthew chapter 7 and, and the different kinds of actions that we see there. And the first one, it's a bit difficult to categorize because we don't really know what the people on the broad way are doing. We don't know if they're like active atheists hating Jesus and raging against him in real life or if they're just people that are just hanging out. They're just genuinely good people. They just don't happen to know Jesus yet. They're just kind of doing their own thing. They're somewhere on that graph there. We don't really know where. But then the next people, these are the false prophets, right? These are the guys that are looking to be like Christians, but they're actively seeking to deceive people. They're actively seeking to, to steal people out of the kingdom and take them back into destruction. So, so they've got a really high level of active rebellion or the intentionality of their disagreement with Jesus. 
But then you get the guys that look really spiritual in the church, but they just don't know God. And I think for them, there's no, there's no attempt of active rebellion in there. They're, they're just not... They've just tried to perform and impress others and, and be great in the eyes of others, but they've missed the relationship with Jesus. But they haven't been actively trying to rebel against Jesus. They kind of drop down a little bit. And then finally, you've got the people that are just kind of, you're here and you're in church and you're listening, but you're not really doing. And you know you probably should do a little bit more, but you aren't. And so there's a little bit of active rebellion, but really it's, it's more passivity than active rebellion. And you're just kind of happy to, to be there and to receive. You get a graph that looks a little bit like that, right? and it's all nice and pretty. The reason these graphs are important is because of this final graph. When we look at the level of consequence that Jesus talks about in each of these stories. Right? In the first story, you've got the two ways, the wide way and the narrow way. And the wide way, Jesus says the broad way leads to destruction. Consequence is right up there. Then you get the next group of people. You've got the false prophets, the guys that are seeking to deceive people. What does Jesus say to them? He says, at the end of the day, your tree is going to get cut down, thrown in the fire, and burnt. That's what Jesus says. Right? The consequence is right up there. Then you get the guys who are, who are doing the ministry in the church, and they look really spiritual, but they just haven't known Jesus, and there's no love relationship with Jesus. Jesus says to them, get away from me. I never knew you. They're rejected, they're cast out, they're condemned as guilty. The level of consequence is right there. There's no access to the kingdom. And finally, you get the boulder that built on the sand. And he built on the sand, and the storms come, and the floods come, and the house totally collapses. See, all of these stories have the same consequence. They all have the same consequence. This idea, and this is harsh of eternal damnation and separation from God. In all of these stories, Jesus is driving one point home. He's saying that anything that is less than genuine, authentic discipleship ultimately leads to the same place. Anything that is less than genuine, authentic discipleship is going to prove worthless. It doesn't matter how much it looks like you're saved. It doesn't matter how much you fit into the church and for how many years you've been going there. It doesn't matter the things that you say or the things that you do. It, it doesn't matter how intentionally you resist Jesus or ignore Jesus or fight against Jesus. At the end of the day, Jesus says anything that is less than full, authentic, relational, genuine discipleship counts for nothing. And all of those people end up in the same place. Which is why Jesus' final warning, his, his final conclusion to the sermon is, is really so fi fitting. It's so perfect. His warning to us and his warning to, his, to the disciples back then and his warning to us today remains the same. You've heard my words. Now what are you going to do about it? You've heard what I've had to say. How will you respond? Can you imagine for a moment that it wasn't me standing on the stage? Imagine for a moment that, that I, like you, I was sitting in my seat and I was looking up at the stage and the person on the stage was actually Jesus himself in the flesh, here now with us. And you are hearing his words for the very first time. I wonder, do you think those words would carry more weight 
more significance to you than my words do right now. In some ways, I kind of hope so. Would you walk out and say to your friend, hey, what did you think? That was a pretty good sermon, right? Yeah, like he really nailed it tonight. We love those moments. Would you treasure his words as the very words of God? That God himself had come amongst you and had spoken the words that bring life. Or would you place yourself above them and count them as one opinion among many that you could think about and, and reflect on and you know, maybe try and put a little bit into practice, but you know, I wouldn't want to mix things up too much. I don't really want to you know, frustrate the way in which I live too much when it gets too challenging. See, that's the heart of Jesus' final story is how are you going to respond to his words? Will you, like the good builder, will you hear them and immediately seek to put them into practice in your life? That's the way to life, Jesus says. You remember when he's, uh, he's tempted in the desert and the enemy comes to him and he says, yeah, why don't you turn the stone into a loaf of bread? And Jesus says, man will not live by bread alone but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. This evening, and for the last 19 weeks, you've heard the words that have come from the mouth of God. And if you take them, and you make them the standard by which you live your life, Jesus says, you will endure to the end. You will make it through. And the storms are going to come. That's the promise. The storms are going to come, and the winds are going to blow, and the floodwaters are going to rise, but you're going to stand firm because Jesus was your foundation. And one day you get to join him in eternal life. But the other temptation is this. It's to be like the foolish builder, to listen to the words of Jesus, to, to think about them, to talk about them, to debate their virtue with your friends or maybe with some strangers on the internet and maybe kind of do them and maybe kind of put them into practice but when it gets too awkward when the cost gets too high when it gets too difficult then maybe not so much you, I mean God will understand he's, you know, he's quite a loving guy I'm sure it will be okay see here's the thing friends here's the thing you know the guy that we call the foolish builder Right, we always read that story with hindsight. Right? We always know how it ends up. And all of us look at it and we're like, man, how could, you be, how could you be so stupid? Like, who would build a house on the sand? That's like ridiculous. You guys are young and like, you don't know anything about construction, but you know this. A house needs foundations. Right? We've got to build foundations before we build a house. How could you be so stupid? Why would you build your house on the sand? Why didn't you build it on the rock? See, the thing is, the storm didn't come on the first day. The storm didn't come the first week. Probably never even came in the first year. And during all that time, everyone was happily hanging out at the beach house, loving the view and the sunsets and the sound of the waves at night. See, in your life, when the storm isn't there, it doesn't really matter what you've built on. It doesn't really matter. You can go years without recognizing that the foundation of your life is sand. I think it's great and wonderful. 
when the day of testing comes. Jesus says, when it rains, it pours. Heard the expression? Jesus says to us, one day, one day your life is going to get turned upside down and the rains are going to come down and the floodwaters are going to rise and the winds are going to blow and the foundations of your life are going to be tested. They're going to be tested. And if you have built on Jesus, if you have taken His words as the words of life and you've done everything you can to build on them and to live by them, Jesus says, you're going to stand. If you've built on anything else, when that flood comes and your life is going to begin to crumble and collapse around you. And the harsh thing is, the, the hard thing is, and the thing I wish I didn't have to say, but the thing I have to say tonight, Jesus says, when that happens, you're only going to have yourself to blame. Because I've told you. I've told you what you need to do with my words. So friends, I, I have to ask you this question. How is your house? As you sit here tonight, how is your house? Matthew 7 finishes with these words. It says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as one of the scribes. Because when Jesus spoke... He spoke with authority because he was God. And his words are the words of God. Friends, if Jesus was standing here on the stage tonight, would you listen? Would his words move you to action? How is your house? Is it ready to face the storm? I was privileged enough when I was 18 to, to go to the UK with my folks. We visited some family friends up there and we spent a little bit of time there. My dad's been in construction for almost four decades and his friend Simon spent about the same amount of time. Walking through London with my dad and Simon is a little bit different to walking through London with normal people. Right? Most of us look around, we're like, oh, London's so wonderful. And look, oh, there's Wimbledon and like, look, how the subways are amazing and it's, you know, you're like a tourist. My dad and Simon walked through London, and they were like, you see that house over there? It's been built slightly too close to that house, and the foundations began to sink, and you can see the structural crack is beginning to grow up in the side of the wall. In this house, there's a bit of rising damp going on there, and you can see the problems that that's causing. That's what it's like. Yeah, there's an opportunity for us tonight to recognize cracks in our house. If your foundation is built on sand the walls are going to begin to show some cracks. And all of us, all of us face an injunction today. We, we face this, this kind of confrontation where we've heard the words of Jesus. Over the last 19 weeks, we've been sharing with you the, the biggest sermon that Jesus ever preached. And if you knew nothing else about Christianity and you just had the Sermon on the Mount, you'd be able to follow Jesus and you'd have the heart of what being a Christian is all about. We've heard the words of Jesus for these last 19 weeks. Jesus' question to us tonight is, what will you do with them? What will you do with them? Will you choose to make them the standard for your life? Right. And hopefully, hopefully for many of us sitting here, that's something that we've already done. That's something that we seek to live out. And then as we hear those words, it's a reminder to us not to just kind of hear them, 
but to recognize that every time we hear the words of Jesus, that they call us to self-examination, that they call us to recognize that we want to bring our lives in subjection to His words and allow Him to speak and move us and change us and guide us. And there might be some of us who are here for, for whom you haven't been able to say that yet. Where you haven't really considered the words of Jesus as directive and instructional in your life. Where you don't really consider yourself as a Christian or someone who follows Jesus. But we all face the same opportunity and injunction. The, the, the moment to say, Jesus, you know what, from, from this moment forth, having heard your words, I want to choose to live them out. I want to choose to live them out. So I want to invite you this evening to join me in doing something that's a little demonstrative, and you don't have to do this, right? but if you want to make a declaration tonight, and you want to say, God, because I know you, because I love you, I want to make a declaration that the words that you have spoken, I want to do my best to live them out. I want to make them the foundation on which I live my life. Or you want to say, God, you know what? I haven't really been following you. And that's not really something that would be true of me. But, but I've heard you speaking tonight, and I want to choose, even tonight, I want to say, God, I want to come, and I want to really genuinely follow you. I want to make your words the foundation on which I live my life. I want to invite you in a moment to stand with me. And we're going to pray together. I'm going to speak, and you're going to repeat, and we're going to say it as a declaration. Because Jesus didn't speak these words to create a philosophical dialogue. Jesus spoke so that people would receive them, take them, put them down on the foundation of their life, and live their life in accordance with what he had said. That's the way to eternal life. That's the way to follow Jesus. That's the way, that's the signpost through the narrow gate. To follow the teaching of the king. You follow him. So won't you, won't you close your eyes and, and then just, if you're willing, won't you stand with me tonight and we're going to pray together. For those of you that want, let's stand together now. Just pray with me. Lord Jesus, today I choose to declare that you are the Lord of my life and to make your words the standard for my life. I choose today to do my best to live each moment of my life in accordance with the words you speak. To resist the temptation to hear and not do. I ask your forgiveness for where I have failed to do this in the past. I also ask for the empowering of your spirit to be able to live according to your words for as long as I live. Jesus, bring glory to yourself through my life so that I may be your good and faithful servant. For your kingdom's sake. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining me today.
in praying that. And I trust for us, worship team, you can come and join me on the stage. And we're going to move into a time of, of singing and worship together. But I trust for us that we are going to, by the power of God's Spirit in us, do our best to live in accordance with His Word and that He would receive glory in our lives. Amen. Tammy, over to you.